In the Auburn Veterans Affairs Office at Alabama Polytechnic Institute, war surplus agent Dorsey Barron sipped his second cup of coffee and stared at his afternoon stack of bid forms. Just where on earth are we supposed to put them all? By June 1948, Auburn found itself in a GI Bill-fueled enrollment boom. More than 8,000 students, new faculty and staff arriving every year, and Barron had to find infrastructure solutions fast. President Ralph B. Drawn had a huge list for Barron, and even bigger aspirations, with a not-as-big budget from Treasurer William Ingram. So, when it came to housing, war surplus auctions helped the bottom line. Refurbished tugboat cabins would make fine lodging for ex-servicemen turned plainsmen. Dorsey grabbed an accordion file of new announcements from the War Assets Administration. Let's see what Uncle Sam has for me today. Trucks, maybe. Electric tubes, no. Industrial manufacturing. Oil paintings? Barron scanned an unusual offering. Sales announcement WAX5025. Catalog of 117 oil and watercolor originals by leading American artists. The War Assets Administration planned to auction paintings as war surplus? The catalog forward read that a major national magazine ranked 10 artists in the collection as the best painters in the U.S. Barron knew a bargain when he saw one, but didn't follow art trends. Fortunately, Auburn had a school of art and architecture. Barron snatched up the telephone and made a call that would change Auburn history. Art professor Frank Appleby gently placed the receiver on the hook. Taking a beat, he envisioned what this purchase would mean for Auburn. A painter himself, he knew the cultural significance and why the government needed to move these paintings quick. Things started unraveling for the Advancing American Art exhibition on the national and international stage almost two years prior. This is a podcast about visual art at Auburn University. My name is Chris Molinsky, Director of Education at the Jewel Colin Smith Museum of Fine Art. In this episode, we kick off the museum's 20th anniversary with my colleague Charlotte Hendricks, Director of Communications and External Relations at the Jewel. Charlotte recently wrote an amazing article for Auburn Magazine titled The Art Bargain of the Century. The article outlines Auburn's blind purchase of an incredible collection of American modernists. For this episode of the podcast, Charlotte will read some excerpts from this amazing article. I really recommend reading the entire thing as it's a little bit longer and goes more in depth into the entire incredible story of advancing American art. My name is Charlotte Hendricks, and I'm the Director of Communications and External Relations for The Jewel. I wanted to write about advancing American art because I think it's one of the lesser-known stories about Auburn. And as we think about ways to magnify the Auburn brand, how great is it that in the mid-20th century, a land-grant institution in the South thought about this and said, we've got to do whatever it takes. I think I was most struck by John Sparkman, who is uh, uh, an Alabama politician with, as many do, have a colorful history, um, how he he was really in favor of getting these paintings. And for all of the reasons that you would think 
he might oppose them for the same reason that the American public was opposing. I mean, there were women, there were artists of color, there were immigrants. He was, he was down for it. And I think that that's just really unusual. The Advancing American Art Collection at the Jewel is a group of 36 objects that Auburn purchased in 1948. This purchase ultimately led to the creation of our museum. The story that Charlotte outlines in her article is how the Advancing American Art Exhibition originated, the controversy that followed, and ultimately the sale of the work. Let's pick back up with the story and Charlotte reading again from her article. The Japanese have accepted our terms fully. That is the word we have just received from the White House in Washington. And World War II may have ended, but not the contest against communism. Art proved an unlikely weapon. In 1946, the U.S. State Department began organizing touring exhibitions from corporate art collections to promote the country's overall innovation under the Office of International Information and Cultural Affairs, or OIC. Touring artistic output meant vulnerable citizens in Eastern Europe, Latin America, and Asia could witness the creative freedom of expression enjoyed in a democracy. This young nation could also disprove notions of a cultural wasteland status. Audiences abroad clamored for more examples of progressive American art. Enter J. Leroy Davidson, a former assistant curator at the Walker Arts Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, turned visual arts specialist for the OIC. In the spring of that year, Davidson quickly assembled 117 paintings for a multi-country tour entitled Advancing American Art. Gallerists demonstrated proof of concept in the idea, selling the works at reduced rates. Exhibitions often examined art trends with a rearview mirror. Still, Davidson's survey featured a range of established and cutting-edge artists, as described by Davidson, the older generation. John Marin, Georgia O'Keeffe, Walt Kuhn, and Max Weber. Alongside emerging artists Ben Sean, Stuart Davis, and Yasio Kuniyoshi. Davidson identified the next generation too, with the likes of Romare Bearden, Robert Guatheme, and Jacob Lawrence. The exhibition premiered at the Metropolitan Museum of Art in October 1946 to accolades by the New York Press, prompting art news editor Alfred M. Frankfurter to claim that advancing American art set out for a blind date with destiny, showing the world's cultural elite that this export is no imitation, but truly original and uniquely American. One grouping headed for Paris and Prague, and the other to Havana and Port-au-Prince, equally celebrated abroad. The campaign on the home front did not go well at all. Conservative papers blasted the red art, given some artists' progressive politics. Styles and subjects, like Ben Sean's hunger, came under fire. In the painting, a young boy, almost to scale, desperately reaches out to the viewer, with a gaunt face and sunken eyes. These kinds of images, the opposition argued, presented as un-American, as did the foreign-sounding names of many immigrant artists. Others thought it was just junk. The big blow came in February 1947 when Look Magazine ran a feature titled Your Money Bought These Paintings with reproductions of Sean's Hunger and Kuniyoshi's Circus Girl Resting. As a result of all this controversy, 
the State Department was forced to sell everything from advancing American art. This is where Auburn University comes into the story, and that first moment where Auburn learns about the blind auction as war surplus that Charlotte read at the beginning. We're skipping through the story a little bit, but I recommend reading the original article that Charlotte wrote. There are several incredibly important people in this story that aren't explored here in the audio version, including the senator that Charlotte mentioned earlier, Senator John Sparkman, who supported Auburn in its bid and tried to clear some of the internal bureaucracy to make their bid successful. The amount of support both internally at Auburn and around the country is an incredible part of this story. The work that was being purchased was controversial, and it wasn't without risk that Auburn purchased this collection of modernist masterpieces. Charlotte picks the story back up here, where Auburn is submitting its bids for the work. Auburn submitted individual blind bids for all 117 paintings at fair value truly a gamble for what the university would get. As one of the few institutions to do so and follow the protocol correctly, they initially won 34, with two more acquired because of other bidders being disqualified. With the discount, the bill came out to $1,072. Only Oklahoma University followed a similar playbook and was awarded 36 paintings. The University of Georgia acquired 10, the remainder scattered to smaller museums and high schools. Looking again through the lens of history, Auburn's set include many of the most highly prized modernists, and Arthur Dove for $30, Georgia O'Keeffe for $50, John Marin $100, Ben Sean $60, Romare Bearden $6.25, Jacob Lawrence, $13.93, and Yasio Kuniyoshi, $100. Quote, I am amazed that we have been so successful, end quote, said Appleby. Throughout the summer of 1948, the Auburn Plainsman ran pieces on the purchase, even running a political cartoon of a nervous Professor Appleby watching as drawn Baron, Ingram, and Dean Turpin C. Bannister turned their heads and contorted their bodies to make sense of modern art. Student newspaper also reprinted congratulatory notes from state legislators and the head of Alabama's art department. Quote, This is significant, not only for you, but for all of Alabama, wrote the art department chair, Dr. J.B. Smith. Quote, I am frankly envious. During the museum's inaugural year, curators exhibited the 36 paintings as originally intended, with subsequent viewings and loans to major museums in later years. In 2013, the three institutions who successfully bid, Auburn, Oklahoma, and Georgia, reunited 109 of the original 117 works for the first time in over half a century, as the touring exhibition Art Interrupted Advancing American Art and the Politics of Cultural Diplomacy. As we kick off the museum's 20th anniversary, selections from the Advancing American Art Collection will be on display this fall. My thanks to Charlotte Hendricks for reading from her article and talking with us about her work. 
Look for the Fall 2023 issue of Auburn Magazine to read the entire article, The Art Bargain of the Century.